Hi guys, this is Dr. Manette with Sew in Peace and welcome back to another one of my videos. Today we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God Part 2. In this video, I'm going to give you some practical um, steps on accessing the Kingdom of God and then I'm going to give you some practical um, steps regarding our responsibility as believers in the Kingdom of God. So if you watch my first video, you'll know that we talked about what the kingdom of God is. Um, I, I think I started the video out with talking about how the Pharisees were challenging Jesus Christ about the coming kingdom of God. Um, they thought that the kingdom of God was a political kingdom. They thought that Jesus was going to come as this um, glorious leader, this magnificent leader to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. <clears throat> But Jesus had told them that the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. So he was letting them know that it wasn't a matter of a political kingdom or a material kingdom. It wasn't a matter of location. It wasn't a matter of eating and drinking, but it was a matter of God uh, coming into this earth, asserting his power through the hearts of his children to do a work in our hearts. So he was saying that the kingdom of God is within you and it's in the um, midst of you. Okay. So they didn't really understand that. They didn't know how to observe it. <clears throat> They didn't know how to un, um, see the evidence of uh, the kingdom of God, and it was happening right under their nose. But in this particular video, I am going to um, kind of give you an explanation about what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus, he he gives us this explanation, or he explains to us what the kingdom of God looks like in the book of Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 50. And he does this in a form of a parable. And if you don't know what a parable is, it's just a simple story that Jesus would use to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. <clears throat> so he starts the verse out um, in verse 44, Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, which is the same thing as the kingdom of God. So these terms, they'll be used interchangeably. But Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a very precious treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys and buys that field, meaning he um, is securing the treasure for himself. Okay. So Jesus says again in verse 45 that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And upon finding a single pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and then he bought it. Okay. So the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl teaches us two truths. Number one, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is a priceless treasure that is to be desired above all else. So in other words, we should be desiring the kingdom of God more than anything else in this world. The second truth, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is to be acquired, is to be gained by giving up everything that would prevent us from accessing the kingdom of God or prevent us from being part of the kingdom of God. So in other words, in order to access the kingdom of God, God requires that we transfer our whole heart from other interests to the supreme interest, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, in order to access the kingdom of God and to remain in the kingdom of God, we need to do uh, number one, make Jesus Christ first and absolute in our, and number two, and absolute in our lives. Okay. That is how we um, acquire the kingdom of God. We have to give up everything that will prevent us from being part of it. Okay. So in other words, God is essentially saying, or Jesus is essentially saying is that in order to be part of the kingdom of God, I want your life is what he's saying. I want your whole life. Okay. And then when he takes control of your whole life. He's saying that I want you to be a living sacrifice for me. Okay. Um, if you go to the book of Romans chapter 12, starting at verse one, Paul, he is talking to some believers and he is giving them a prime example or a clear example on how to be a living sacrifice for God. Okay. And I want to give this to you because this is necessary for being part of the kingdom of God. And I think a lot of times, um, we hear that terminology being a living sacrifice, but we don't always know what that means. So um, Paul, he says in um, Romans chapter 12, starting at one, he says, so I beg you, brothers and sisters, he says, because of the great mercy God has shown us, he says, offer your lives 
as a living sacrifice. In other words, he is saying, because of what God has done for you, because he has shown you so much mercy, I need you to surrender your life. I need you to submit your life and I need you to yield your life to God. And when you do that, he says, make it an offering that is only for God, okay? Not for anyone else. You need to make your surrendering, your submission and, and the yieldness of your heart only for God. And when you do it, make sure that it is pleasing for God. Make sure that it's acceptable to God. You know, sometimes we can um, think that we're surrendering our lives to God or submitting our lives to God, but it may not be acceptable to God. So you have to make sure that <clears throat> if you're living for Christ, make sure that he accepts it, okay? And Paul is saying that in order for you to be able to do this, in order for you to decide to um, be a living sacrifice for God's uh, kingdom, you will need to consider what he has done for you in your life. He's saying, think about what all the things he's done for you in your life. Think about all the times that Jesus has saved you, even when you didn't ask him to. Think about all the times that you were in terrible situations and he has delivered you, protected you, provided for you, all the times he's been kind to you, even when you didn't ask for it or pray about it. Okay. He says, think about all those things. Think about all of those mercies. That is God having mercy for you in every area of your life. And he says, and when you think about that, you should conclude that um, you should um, live your life. Okay, um, as a living sacrifice to him, meaning you should conclude that it is only right that you should worship him in this way. Okay, that's what Paul is saying. You should know that it is only because of God's profound mercy to you and Christ Jesus as a believer that you should be willing to offer your body as a living sacrifice for God uh, for his honor. So, in other words, um, as you, um, have considered all the things that God has done for you, okay? This means that you should be willing to give your body to God as a tribute to him or out of respect for him, okay? It's a way of recognizing who God is and what he's done for you in your life. It's a way of acknowledging him. It's a way of you praising him and glorifying him. So in other words, your greatest desire should be to live lives of holy worship and devotion to God. And this is going to require for you to separate yourself from the world, okay, from the patterns of this world. Okay. And it's going to also require you to consecrate your body. This means it's going to require you to dedicate yourself, be devoted to God and to be set apart to God for a lifetime. Okay. This is considered a lifetime of worship and service for God. Okay. So in other words, um, as you are entering the kingdom of God, or you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you need to consider yourself being dead to sin. Okay. Sin should no longer lure you, uh, be pleasing to you. You should hate sin, be disgusted by it. Okay. You should be willing to be obedient to God and ready to have your body used as an instrument of righteousness for God. Okay. And then you also need to realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and it is a place where God lives. Okay. It's a place where God lives. That's how you become a living sacrifice for God. You have to come into the awareness or come into your consciousness that God is with me. And everywhere I'm walking, he's with me. Everything that I feel, he feels. Everything that I think, he thinks. He knows all things, okay? And because of these things, those times where you were thinking ungodly, when you were doing things ungodly and you were a child of God, God was in you, okay? And he was merciful, merciful to you. And because he was merciful to you, now you should say, man, you know what? God, thank you for not condemning me. Thank you for not throwing my body in hell. Thank you for giving me chance after chance. Consider those things. And because of that, know that it is right that you should be worshiping him in such a way that you are living set apart for him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 16, that for we are the temple of the living God, okay? God dwells in us and he walks among us, okay? If God is dwelling in you and walking among you, this means that God is your God and you are his child, okay?
So in other words, what is Paul saying? Don't let sin use your bodies as tools. Don't let them use your body parts as tools to make you more wicked. But instead, in order for you to be a living sacrifice for God, allow God to use your body as a weapon of righteousness. Okay. Why? It's because when God uses your body in this earth, in this wicked earth, okay, as a weapon of righteousness, it shows that you are a person who works for the kingdom of God. Okay. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is what? It is a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay. So it is not a matter of eating and drinking, but a matter of righteousness. Okay. And this is important for you to know because righteousness in the kingdom of God, it affects the outcome of our life. Okay. This is why we need to um, yield our body, yield our members to Christ, okay, to obey Christ, okay, because righteousness affects the outcome of your life. Follow me to the book of Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. In this particular passage, Jesus is giving us another parable, okay, okay, another parable to um, illustrate um a spiritual consequence, I guess I should say. And he's using a story to do, a simple story to do it. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Okay. So a dragnet is kind of like just a regular net that you would lower into the sea. Okay. And gather some fish. So Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a dragnet, which was lowered into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, okay, when that net was full, they dragged it up on the beach and they sat down and sorted out the good fish into the basket. So they started taking all the good fish and they start putting it in the basket, okay? But the worthless ones, they threw them away. So it will, um, so Jesus is saying, at the end of the age, he's gonna do the same thing. He's gonna send out his angels, okay? They're gonna come and they're gonna separate the wicked from the righteous. Now, he's not talking about the unbelievers from the righteous, okay? Now, remember, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, so I want you to drive in on this, okay? He's saying, at the end of the age, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. And he's going to throw the wicked into the furnace of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, or there's going to be weeping and grinding of teeth over sorrow and pain and over distress and anger. So number one, there's going to be people who rejected the way of righteousness. Okay. Some because they rejected the gospel, of course, those are the wicked too, but others because, um, <clears throat> others because, um, they look like they're part of the kingdom of God and they rejected the way of righteousness. Okay. So I want you to hold on to righteousness. And then they're going to be distressed and angry because they're going to be angry at God that God put him in hell. Okay. So what is Jesus saying? In this passage, Jesus is emphasizing that not all who are in the visible kingdom are truly children of God. In other words, uh, Jesus is saying not everyone who goes to church or not everyone who's part of some religious organization or not everyone who is singing in a choir or doing some volunteer work for the kingdom of God are synonymous, meaning they're not equal or the same with the true children of God. Okay, The true children of God consist of all believers who are living in a true faith and a true righteousness, which is equivalent to holiness. Okay, so. Being a part of the, the kingdom of God means that you are living a life of holiness. You are living in the way of righteousness because the kingdom of God is what? A matter of righteousness, okay? A matter of peace and a matter of joy in the Holy Ghost. But the first part of the kingdom is righteousness, okay? Righteousness means that the true children of God are being constantly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through purity of heart and rectitude, okay? This means that their thoughts and their affections of heart is conformed or being continuously conformed to the integrity of life and God's divine law. So in other words, true children of the kingdom of God, um, they truly love the Lord thy God with all of their hearts, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength, okay? They are the children who adhere to God's moral and ethical principles, meaning they understand or they comprehend 
comprehend God's holy principles, okay? They understand God's nature. They understand his characteristics. They understand the affections of his heart, which includes all what we call justice, um, all what we call honesty and virtue that is um, coupled up with God's holy affections. They understand that. So in short, uh, the true children of the kingdom of God, they have what God calls true religion or true faith, meaning these children um, have made up their minds. They have persuaded their minds about what God says is true. Okay. They have declared God's word worthy of trust. Okay. The word of God is a place in their heart where they rest their souls and they have allowed the word of God to be living and active and full of power in their hearts. Okay. What is, what, what is, what is the Bible saying? The true children of God. Okay. They have allowed God to come in their hearts to address every, every area in their hearts so that God can be operative in their hearts. So God can, so the word of God can be operative in their hearts. So the word of God can be energizing in their hearts and most of all, effective in their hearts. Okay. So the true children of God, who's part of the kingdom of God, they allow the word of God to penetrate them. Okay. We all know the scripture, but I'm breaking it down in a way that you can understand. Okay. They allow the, the word of God to penetrate them. Okay. They allow the word of God to continuously make them a complete person. And they allow the word of God to go as far as to their joints and marrow. Okay. This is what the scripture means, meaning the true children of God allows the word of God to go to the deepest part of their nature so it can expose and judge their very thoughts and the intentions of their hearts. Okay. They allow God to do that. They don't keep anything hidden from God. They confess all their truths. They don't say, I'm taking that to the grave. Some of us do that as the children of God, but no, they allow God to come and clean up every area of their heart. They confess their sins. God is saying, I didn't come to condemn you. I come to save you, but he wants to conform you to his son, Jesus Christ. And the only way that he can do that is he has to touch every area of your heart. He needs to do this because now you're giving him room to come in your heart, to sit on the throne of your heart and to begin to rule. Okay. Okay to begin to rule, to begin to assert his power in action through your heart and to exercise his authority in Satan's kingdom. Okay. So in other words, in order for God to come and sit in your heart, in order for you to be, to access the kingdom of God, you need God to come into your heart, to clean you up, to touch every area, you know, you need to maybe confess a lie that you've been holding on to. Okay. Maybe you're deceiving yourself about something. Okay. Maybe you need to admit to God that you're addicted to something or someone. Okay. Maybe you need to confess to God about that adulterous affair that he saw you do years ago, or even right now, or maybe an abortion you may have committed. He's not going to condemn you, but he's going to save you and cleanse you up. And he needs, he needs to do this so that he can exercise his authority. So you can be a tool. You can be a vessel for righteousness. Okay. So you can be a vessel to fight uh, the kingdom of Satan. Okay. So the question is, are you allowing God to expose all of your deeds and your intentions? Okay. Are you allowing God? Do you want God to rule and reign in your heart? Okay. He needs to do this. So that Satan's kingdom can enter into a crisis, okay? Do you know that when you allow God to rule in your heart, to come into your heart, to do what he pleases with you, that when God expresses his power, okay, through you, through the heart of you, he, 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 he fills the devil's empire with, a, with alarm, okay? I'm going to explain this a little bit more, try to break this down more. When, when you submit yourself to God's authority, when you submit yourself to God's ruling, when you allow God to reign in you, okay, and he's doing it through, the pow through power that is righteousness, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, okay? So when you are morally upright, when you have peace operating in the kingdom of God, when you have great fellowship with the Holy Ghost, okay? That's power in the kingdom of darkness. 
He uses that power to confront everyone around you with a decision of whether or not they will submit to God's rule or not. Okay. Let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever worked in a place and it was like no believers around you? Very few. You might be the only one or there might be somebody else and maybe you don't know them yet. Right. But when you are operating in the kingdom of God, you're being upright. You have peace and you have this joy in the Holy Ghost. It makes the kingdom of God tremble. It's an alarm to his empire. It does something in the heart of those around you and it makes them either decide, I want to be like that person. I want to worship the God that they worship or I want to run and continue to operate in the kingdom of Satan. That's what it does. He uses his power to confront individuals through your behavior, through your belief, okay, um, to confront others, to make them decide whether or not they're going to serve him or not. So in other words, when you are operating in the kingdom of God, he, um, you are using spiritual weapons of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost to confront unbelievers inside and outside of your household to make a choice whether or not they're going to save God, whether or not they're going to serve God or not. That's what you're doing. I hope you understood that. Okay. Do you understand that? Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that? So step one, the first rule to enter the kingdom of God is to repent and believe the gospel. The Bible says in Mark 1, chapter um, chapter one, verse 15, that the appointed period of time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So the first thing Jesus says is repent. Okay. Repent. He says, change your inner self. This is what he means. Meaning, meaning you have to change your old way of thinking. Okay. You have to regret all of your past sins. Then you need to learn to live a life in a way that proves repentance, okay? You can't say that you gave your life to Christ and there's no change. You should be living a life to prove that you have repented, okay? And then you need to seek God's purpose for your life, okay? There's some of us, when we come into the kingdom, God, not some of us, all of us, God gives us a gift. Some of us teaching, some will be preaching, some will be evangelizing, some will be doing many things in the kingdom of God. You need to begin to seek God for that purpose in your life. Okay. That's number one. So the first thing to do is to repent. Some people say that, you know, when you come to God, um, you know, um, you don't need to do anything but believe. Um, no, really the first thing you need to do is repent. Okay. You, you, you need to repent when you come to God, okay? He's going to work all those other things out, but you need to have, again, that change of mind, that change in your inner self. You need to be able to regret your past sins, okay? You need to live a life that's going to show God that, or, or you're willing to show God that you're changing from your old way, okay? Okay, so that's repenting, okay? Repent, and you need to believe. Repent and believe. Okay. So change your inner self, change your old way of thinking. You need to regret your past sins. You need to live a life in a way that proves repentance and you need to see God's um, purpose for your life. And you need to believe. Believe is um, have a deep abiding trust in God. You need to um, have a deep trust in the good news in the gospel regarding salvation, that God has the ability to save you and bring you unto final salvation. Okay. So I want to say that again, when you come to Christ, um, I'm not saying that you need to work for your salvation or anything like that, but I am saying you need to repent. So I want to clear that up just in case that gets misconstrued. You need to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. The, um, there are several different aspects to the kingdom of God, but um, in this particular video, I'm only referring to the kingdom of God in the church. The church is us, okay? The body of Christ. And the kingdom of God, when it pertains to us, <clears throat> it involves the present manifestation of God's power and role in the hearts and lives of all those who repent and believe the gospel, okay? And the presence of the kingdom of God for us comes with great spiritual power. So it comes to assert itself against the dominion of Satan, sin, and evil. So I stated in the first video, the kingdom of God is not a political material kingdom, but it is a powerful and forceful presence and activity of God among his people and within the heart of his people. 
So now that you have come into uh, the body of Christ, now that you're saved, you're part of the kingdom of God, the, you have a responsibility, okay? And you have a responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ. And your first responsibility is to, number one, seek. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So I want you to underline the word seek. In this particular passage, the verb seek implies being continually observed, meaning you need to be continually interested or engaged in a search for something or making an, um, a strenuous, active, energetic, or you need to be determined and diligent to obtain the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, I need you to have a strong craving for it, okay? I need you to desire for the kingdom of God to be found, okay? So that's the first thing you need to seek. So in other words... Your responsibility in the kingdom of God is to always have an urgency to seek above all else God's kingdom and his righteousness, okay? It's our first responsibility as believers in Christ to diligently seek God's kingdom in all its manifestations and all its power. It's our responsibility to remain hungry and thirsty for God's presence and power in our lives and in the lives of other believers, okay? So in this particular passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus refers to two matters of seeking, okay, or two objects of seeking, okay? So number one, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God must be sought out earnestly by true believers to have the rule and power of God demonstrated in our lives and in the lives of those around us, okay? Meaning, in order for us to access the kingdom of God, we must pray that the kingdom of God will come in the mighty power of of the Holy Spirit to save sinners. This means that you and I, now that we are in the kingdom of God, now that we have the power of God ruling in our hearts, okay? Now we need to seek that power. And the way that we seek that power is by praying. We begin to pray for our lost spouses, pray for our prodigal children, pray for our unbelieving parents and whoever else God has put up in our mind or in our um, in close proximity to us or whomever he has assigned to us to pray for them. And we need to be praying to deliver them from the demonic bondages and strongholds, okay? And we need to pray diligently so that we can heal the sick, okay? And we have to do all these things, okay, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that in all these matters, God, the Lord Jesus Christ's name will be magnified and glorified, okay? God wants to show us and those around us that he is powerful, okay? That he delivers people from demonic bondages and strongholds and that he can heal the sick. That's the point of the kingdom of God, of seeking the kingdom of God. So I mentioned in my first video that the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of a bunch of talk, but a matter of power. So in other words, uh, it is God himself, okay, breaking into this world with spiritual authority over Satan's rule and dominion, and he is doing it through the heart of who? Through the heart of his children. He's expressing his power that consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, okay? And the children that he uses are the ones that are answering the call through belief, repentance, okay, and believing through submission and faith and trust and obedience, okay? So the question you might want to ask yourself, are you answering the call in your heart and in your behavior to the call of Jesus Christ, okay, um, to the call of the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. Um, yes, to the call of the kingdom of God, where God expresses his power um, through our hearts. Are you answering that call? Okay, that's the only way he's going to be able to use you. So we all know that uh, we are on the devil's playground and there are many of us or many people around us um, that the devil is controlling their mind and their emotions. Okay. So the Bible tells us in second Corinthians chapter four, verses three through four, that the ruler, meaning the Satan of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Okay. They cannot see the light of the good news. They cannot see the message about the divine greatness of Jesus Christ, who is the one who is exactly like God, meaning the, um, they don't understand that Jesus Christ is the exact living image, meaning they don't understand he's the essential manifestation of the unseen God. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1 um, verse 15 that Jesus Christ is the visible representation of the invisible God. Uh, he's the firstborn, not meaning he was created because he's not. 
but it just means that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He's the sovereign one. He's the originator of all creation, okay? Meaning we will reign with Christ, but the invisible image of God reigns first, okay? So, and those who don't know Christ, they can't comprehend any of this. They don't see it and they don't understand it. And we can't argue them to death to even understand it, okay? So in other words, um, it is Satan who holds the power of their minds, okay? Much of the activity that's going on in this present world is because Satan is controlling the minds of unbelievers, okay? And although his rule is temporary and conditional until the end of this age, it is unbelievers who will remain under Satan's control and under his sway, meaning those loved ones, our spouses, our children, and until the end of this age, they're going to remain under Satan's control, okay? And he's going to keep their eyes blinded. He's going to keep them blinded from the truth and from God's glory of the gospel so that they might not be saved. That's what he's going to do. And the only solution to this problem, to this fatal situation is for you and I as children of God, who is a part of God's kingdom, who has God ruling in our hearts, is to come together, go in our closets and bind Satan's activity through intercession. Okay. This is why we need to access and seek the kingdom of God. And we need to do it right now. Okay. Do you know what intercession means? Okay. Let me explain to you. Intercession means to intervene on someone's behalf. It's like you're going to God on behalf of an unbeliever so that you can negotiate with God to divinely disrupt their life for the um, basis of salvation. Okay. So it is you having a one-on-one -on -one with God with a view of reconciliation for that person. Okay. So in other words, when you intercede with someone, you're going to solicit to God, 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 hey, God, my husband's in trouble in favor for someone else or for that other person. OK, that's what you're doing when you intercede for someone else. Do you understand why it's important to access the kingdom of God? OK. So in order to access the kingdom of God, you need to be able to have um, yourself completely devoted to him. OK, so that he can give you the power to preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Ghost in order that people may hear it, understand it and choose to believe it and be saved by it. OK, so accessing the kingdom of God means that you are accessing uh, spiritual control over your situation. You're accessing spiritual influence in your life and those around you. You're accessing spiritual authority and supremacy and rule through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God, uh, basically, when you are seeking the kingdom of God. You are seeking the kingdom of God so that you can be over all things in the demonic realm. That's what you're doing. Okay. This means that if you allow God to rule in your heart, then through the power of the Holy Ghost, you will have the ability to subdue the kingdom of darkness. You will have the ability to overcome and to conquer all things that comes on Satan's territory. Okay. And you will also have the ability to work some miracles. And then you will also have the ability to enable other people to work miracles. Okay. And wonders and marvels. Okay. I mean, I know some time in my life that, um, there is no way that, um, let, let me put it this way. There's some times that I needed a miracle in my life. Okay. And the only way that I was able to make a miracle happen, to make something happen in our lives was through the power of the Holy Ghost. It was only by the kingdom of God that I was able, that I was able to do this. Okay. This only happens when we submit to God wholeheartedly. Okay. And, and when we submit to go, when we submit to God wholeheartedly, this means that you and I, we have to let go being justified. Okay. We have to let go of the way that we think. We have to let go of selfish ambitions, okay? And we have to let go of our own way, but we have to seek. We have to intentionally seek righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. These are God's spiritual weapons in the kingdom of God. Number two, the second responsibility in the kingdom of God is that we have to be converted. Now, in this particular passage, um, I think it's a form of accessing the kingdom of God, but it's also our uh, form of, um, it's our responsibility, ongoing responsibility in the kingdom of, in the kingdom of God. So, um, when Jesus is talking about being converted, uh, he gives us a prime example in the book of Matthew chapter 18, verses one through four. And, um, the Bible says that, um, some followers had came up to Jesus and they had asked him a question and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom, in God's kingdom? 
And Jesus called a little child to come to him. He stood the child in front of the followers. And then he said, the truth is you must change your thinking and become like little children. He said, if you don't do this, you'll never enter God's kingdom. The Bible is saying that the greatest person in God's kingdom is the one who makes himself humble like a child. Okay. So in order to access the kingdom of God and your ongoing responsibility in the kingdom of God will require you to become like a little child. Okay. For example, Jesus requires us to become humble. He requires us to become unpretentious, meaning we should not be people who attempt to impress other people with our appearance or with great talents, okay? God doesn't want that. If you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, you need to become dependent. You need to become weak like a little child. You need to become teachable, and you need to be willing to trust the Heavenly Father in every aspect of your life, okay? So this conversion... <clears throat> that God is talking about, or this change that Christ is talking about, it, he's talking about the conversion that must consist changes in every, every area of your life, such as your relationships, okay? You need to be converted in your relationships. You need to have change in your habits and all of your commitments and the things that you take pleasure in, okay? And you need to have a different <clears throat> perspective on life. Your whole view of life needs to change, okay? Some people think that, um, I'm not going to say some people think, some people don't understand that God can come back at any time. The Bible says he's going to come at a time that we least expect it. Okay. When you understand that God is going to come like a thief in the night and he's going to come at a time when you expect him not to come, that changes your whole perspective in life. Okay. Matter of fact, that type of conversion is what it's what make you have a genuine, genuine saving faith, okay? It's actually the basic part of your salvation and sanctification, okay? And it's a part, and it's a fundamental part of allowing God to assert his power and authority within your hearts. When you have the understanding that God can come back anytime and that you need to be ready, God is coming back for people, for a bride who is spotless and blameless, okay? He's coming back for a holy um, people, not just an imputed righteousness that comes from believing in him, but people who lived a righteous life as well, a people who lived a life that was acceptable to him. Okay. That will change your whole view of life. That is a conversion that Christ is talking about. Okay. That's when you become like little children, you begin to let go of your own way of things. That conversion is needed for your genuine, genuine saving faith. Okay. It's a part, it's part of your salvation and your sanctification. And it's a part of allowing God to assert his power and authority within your heart. So in order for God to assert power in your situation, you need to become like a child. Okay. The Bible says in first Corinthians chapter one, verse 27, that God, he chose the weak things of the world that he might put to shame the things that are strong. Okay. Children are weak. Okay. But he uses that in attitude like a child to be a, a person who's willing to do whatever God says to shame the, 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 the strong situations around you. That's how you put the shame, those things. Okay. People who strive out the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Responsibility number three, become a servant. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verses 25 through 30, Jesus said to them that the kings of the world, they rule over their people. And those who have authority over others, they want to be called the great providers for the people. But the Bible says that you and I must not be like that. The one with the most authority among you should act as if he is the least important. So this means that even though that you are part of God's kingdom and you have a lot of authority, I mean, your heavenly father is a king, okay? He's saying while you're on earth, okay, even though you have a great authority in the kingdom of God, you need to be the most humble one here on earth, even though you're actually a leader in the kingdom of God. Okay. So in other words, the Bible says the one who leads should be like the one who serves Jesus. He asked a question this passage in verse 27. He says, who is more important? Is it the one serving or the one sitting at the table being served? In this world, in this flesh, everyone thinks that the one that's being served is the most important, right? That's what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is like, no, 
He goes, the one who is the most important is the one who actually comes to serve his neighbor. And that's how Jesus came to us. Okay. So in other words, being a servant is a spiritual weapon. It is power in the kingdom of God. It's what pushes back darkness. Have you ever noticed when you're a servant to other people, they're more calm and peaceful and willing to work with you? right? But if you're trying to be controlling, or if you're trying to have your way, or you're trying to boss over people, it arouses people. It causes people to be angry. It causes um, arguments. I was going to say something else like tensions. Um, it causes all of those things, okay? But that in the kingdom of God, your spiritual weapon is of a childlike spirit and it's to be a servant, okay? So in other words, if you want to access the kingdom of God, then you will have to do a real work in the inner you, okay? This is going to require you to cultivate a humble spirit and a pure heart, okay? You will need to be a person who can express your love for Christ openly to others, and you need to be able to be anything to anyone in a Christ-like manner. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, verses seven through eight, that you and I as children of God, we need to be able to render service with the goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So in other words, God is saying, whatever you do in this earth, okay, when you operate in the kingdom of God, you're going to get it back. Okay. So be of good cheer. You're going to get it back. This brings me to my fourth and last responsibility. And to operate in the kingdom of God, you must have patience, okay? Patience. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 18 through 21, the Bible says that Jesus uh, said, what is the kingdom of God like, okay? He, then he asked himself a question. He says, what can I compare it to? God's kingdom is like the seed of a mustard plant. Someone plants the seed in their garden, okay? The seed grows and becomes a tree and the birds build nests on its branches, okay? And then Jesus said again, he says, what can I compare God's kingdom with? He says, listen, it's like yeast that a woman mixes into a big bowl of flour to make bread. The yeast makes all the dough rise, okay? So what is Jesus saying in these parables? What point is he trying to make? Well, both of the parables make the same point, okay? They're both small, and then they, they, in a short time, they grow to be either the biggest of all the plants, okay, that develop from the mustard seed, okay, or the leaven in the, or the yeast in the dough, okay? It will affect the whole mass of the dough so as to be sufficient in a short time, it's going to be able to feed a large company of people. Okay, so in scripture, leaven, it often um, represents an evil influence. But in this particular passage, um, the leaven is the power and influence in the inherited kingdom of God. So the point of these passages is that you and I, you know, we may only be able to influence one person. Okay, maybe it's our child. Maybe it's our husband. Maybe it's a colleague. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a small group of people, okay? Like Jesus did. It's like kind of when I get on here and I make these videos and a lot of people watch them. Not a lot of people follow them. Some people may even watch some of it and put it down because a lot of people don't have the energy or the desire to watch all of it. And I get it, you know, but he's saying, listen, maybe that one person or that small group of people that do watch these videos, okay? He's saying at some point, it's going to grow by the power of the Holy Ghost. Sorry. <clears throat> He's saying it's going to grow. Maybe it's going to be a legacy for my children or for your children. Okay. If you operate in the kingdom of God. Maybe uh, it's, it's you when you witness to someone. <clears throat> um, you will eventually, that person, you know, say you witness to one person. That person somehow in the future may eventually witness to hundreds or thousands of people, okay? It's just like Jesus, Jesus' ministry, okay? His ministry began with a small group of committed disciples. But by the end of the first century, <clears throat> a century is what, like 100 years? You know, by, by the end of the first century AD, the kingdom of God that the disciples who were committed to Jesus Christ um, that they proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit, they did it in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
the kingdom of God has spread far and wide, okay, with mighty transforming influence and great consequences, okay? So in other words, Jesus is saying, whatever you do for him in the kingdom of God, it may begin small, it may begin humble, okay? But it'll never go wasted, okay? God has a plan for what we do in the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, okay? And the Bible says, and then all these things will be added unto you. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you seek the kingdom of God and my righteousness, you're going to bring power into this earth. You're going to bring power into your situation, okay? To be able to bring that peace in your marriage, to be able to bring that prodigal child to return home, to be able to bring stability in your finances. You're going to um, you're going to be able to work some miracles. God's going to give you some wisdom, okay, on how to deal with these situations. Sometimes it's not that it just magically appears, but it's the ability to control and rule over those situations in a God-like way. It's God ruling them. It's, it's, it's through, it's the power of God in your heart working in you to rule those dark, oppressed marriages to rule that rebellious child, but it's going to be done through God's way and not through yours, okay? To stabilize your finances, to give you satisfying work, okay? So that you can earn money for your family, okay? Or he's going to rule in your heart in such a way to make you humble, okay? To make you be able to teach the gospel in such a way that he's going to bring growth to your ministry, whether you see it on earth or it's going to happen after you go to heaven. He's going to do it, okay? So I'm not saying that trouble won't come, but I'm saying as we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we are seeking the power of God to push back that darkness when it does come, okay? This is how important it is. So as I stated before, the kingdom of God is not for those who seldomly pray. It's not for those who compromise with the world or neglect the word of God and have little spiritual hunger. I said that in the last video, but but the kingdom of God is for who? It's for men like Joseph who did not hold grudges, but showed true compassion and forgiveness, okay? It's like men, it's for men like Nathan who were skillful and forthright when delivering the Lord's messages or men like Daniel and his three friends who showed faith and courage and obedience in the midst of difficult times. They did not shrink back into unbelief, okay? The kingdom of God is for men like Mordecai who was loyal to God even though he was threatened, but he was brave for the children of God, okay? It's for men like Peter, who was ambitious or motivated to commit to Christ, or men like John, who was loyal, who was a loyal disciple, okay? Or the kingdom of God is for men like Stephen, who was full of faith, full of grace, and full of the Holy Spirit's power, or for men like Paul, who was supremely gifted in, in being a natural leader, okay? He was sensitive to the needs of others. He had affection for people and he demonstrated authenticity and he was enthusiastically affirming, okay? That's what the kingdom of God is for, men like them. Or the kingdom of God is for women like Deborah, who was more than just a judge. She was multi-talented. She had inborn traits. She had perseverance, okay? She had a God-fearing character that opened the door um, for God to trust her with, with much more. She became a leader and a prophetess, okay? And, and was well, um, and she was a well charismatic military leader, leading the Israelites into a mighty victory to take the land of Canaan. And it's for women like Ruth, who were brave and obedient and had love, faith, and trust and humility. You know, Ruth can show us how to be noble women of character. She had integrity and she wasn't afraid of working hard. Some people are afraid of working hard in the kingdom of God. They're afraid to go out there and glean and to God's power show up and to God's blessing show up, to God's strength show up. Boaz, it was a kinsman redeemer, okay? He was meaning God's strength, okay? God's salvation showed up. Sometimes as women of God in your situation, you got to learn how to glean in your marriage. You got to learn how to work hard. You got to learn how to fight until God shows up and do something about it, Okay. Most importantly, Ruth was a woman who trusted her life to God, even in the midst of great pain she was experiencing. That's what the kingdom of God for, kingdom of God for women like Ruth and women like Esther who had great patience. A woman who was patiently waiting on the Lord and for his guidance to know how to help her people. Okay. Sometimes you're trying to rush the process. You're trying to guide your family. But you need a character like Esther. You need to sit back and let the Lord guide you. Wait for the Lord to come and answer you, to teach you, 
how to lead in your family as a woman of God, as a mother. I know that men are leaders, but women can lead according to the Holy Spirit, okay? We can lead in the Spirit, okay? Even though it seemed like all hope was lost, Esther persevered and remained faithful. Her patience paid off in the end. That's, that's what needs to happen for us as women of God. Our patience have to pay off in the end, but we need to wait and persevere for God to show up. Okay. And in the end, what happened? We all know that Esther was able to deliver her people from destruction. So if you want to deliver that husband or that prodigal child from dis destruction, then you need to be like Esther. You need to be patient and waiting on the Lord for his guidance to show what to do. You need to sit down and listen to wisdom. Okay. You need to calm your inner spirit. You need to do a work in your heart to have compassion and grace to understand what God wants you to do. Okay. Teach you how to rule in your heart. You need to be like Mary, a woman who demonstrated divine purity. You need to have a pure heart. Everything in Mary was of God. Her mind and her heart was pure. She did not want judgment on her husband. She didn't expect judgment on her husband. But she lived her life with unity of purpose, seeking only to love and honor God with her whole heart and her mind and her soul and her strength. That's the kind of woman Mary was. <clears throat> Do you want access to kingdom of God? Look at Mary's life, okay? <clears throat> and, and the kingdom of God is for women like Anna. She was woman, <clears throat> a woman who was strong in grace and the grace of the Lord. It takes a lot of grace to access the kingdom of God. And she was strong in it, okay? She was strong in the grace of the Lord. Do you have grace? Do you have grace in your marriages? Do you have grace with your children? Do you have grace for that colleague at work that is not kind to you? Anna was strong in the grace of the Lord. That's how we operate the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for women like Lydia. Okay, Lydia was a woman of hospitality. She was hospitable. <clears throat> Even though Paul resisted, she insisted on it. Okay, she wanted to make the missionaries comfortable while they traveled and spread the gospel. Are you hospitable? Do you offer hospitality to your husband? To your children, are you hospitable to them? Are you kind to them? Do you serve them, okay? Are you welcoming? Are you friendly? Are you warm? Are you open to your husband? Are you generous to your husband? <clears throat> the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it carries the idea that God is coming into this world through the hearts of his children against Satan's dominion and the present course of this world. It's more than salvation. It's more than you going to church. But it's God having the ability to express his power in all his works through the heart of his children. And his power consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is Dr. Matt. We're so in peace. For God loves you and I love you and I pray that you have a wonderful day.